Welcome, everyone, to episode 247 of Some Like It, Scott. We're back from a bit of an elongated August summer vacation. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we are revving our engines into the fall with a review of the biographical sports drama Gran Turismo. Before we get to that with me, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, long time, no pod. How have you been these past few weeks? Yeah, it feels like uh, we've had quite a few breaks here, maybe a little bit over the last uh, yeah. few weeks, months, whatever. But And more uh, to come, also, probably, with the state of fall yeah, movies. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's also because movies have kind of been, been taking a break. We, we spared ourselves of Blue Beetle and whatever else came out. Mainly because I was actually on vacation for a week and a half. Otherwise, I think we probably yeah. would have done Blue Beetle. But yeah, it's also... You know, it's that time of year where things are getting dumped. The bottoms release schedule, which we originally were going to do today, was a bit wonkier than we thought it was going to be. And you, it wasn't available near you this weekend. So we're delaying that until next week. There's some there's some gaps in the calendar, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really looking forward to bottoms. That's one of my most anticipated movies of the year, but like. I don't know. For for me personally, it's like, what else do I have to look forward? I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon is still slated to come out, obviously, at the start of October. So, Boy and um, the Heron. We, we do have that, yes. Um, Napoleon. And there's, you know, a bunch of other films that you're going to get to see, Scott, the New York Film Festival, that who <laughs> knows when slash if yeah. they'll be available to me. So, um, you know, things are, are looking a little grim at the moment, especially after Dune's getting pushed it's uh, taking me back to 2020 a little bit but we've seen a lot of great movies this year so um it's not a complete wash sure it's been a very strong summer a strong first half of the year probably more so than the past couple years i'm sure i'm forgetting some movies but i think it's yeah it's been pretty strong overall i think that we still have lots of of big movies to come like hitman a richard linklater movie still probably going to come out seems like very likely to come out this year ferrari I'm just listing movies that are coming to the New York Film Festival, but like presumably will come out this year before the Oscars race begins, assuming that, you know, there's not still a industry strike happening in December. Which who knows? who knows at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily, Ferrari's not, like, I think that's a neon distributed film, right? So it's it's not neon is not part of the AMPTP and, and I believe does have an interim agreement with SAG-AFTRA. So Adam Driver at all are going to be promoting the film at Venice presumably also in New York in a few weeks, you know, in a month's time. So that film, you know, has all the cast buzz around it. Unlike, you know, some other larger movies, like just as a reference point, something like May, December, which is also a New York film festival movie that has a Netflix picture. So we'll not have an interim agreement for, you know, Natalie Portman or uh, Julianne, Julianne Moore. Moore yeah. yeah. Julianne Moore will not be promoting the movie. So, which is it. tough because it's, you know, you you need those people to sell a Todd Haynes movie. You do need those people to sell a Todd Haynes movie, although, you know, Netflix. So, Shrug? Well, I don't know. Isn't Hitman a Netflix movie also, or did I imagine that? I'll have to double check that. I'm not 100% okay. sure. It could be. It's very possible that it is. I'm forgetting right now. I mean, his last movie obviously was, so. Yeah, Hitman, Richard Linklater is not a Netflix movie. Okay. Well, that's good. In fact... I'm not even sure it has a distributor right now. Well, it will. I feel like we've probably been staying the execution of talking about Gran Turismo 
As already mentioned, this week's review is that Sony Pictures PlayStation Productions mix of video game adaptation from the Polyphony Digital game of the same name, crossed with a real-life rags-to-riches type story. Gran Turismo charts the rise of a Welsh teenage Gran Turismo racing sim gamer, Jan Mardenborough, played by Archie Madiqui, who wins a local contest to determine the best Gran Turismo players, who all then compete with each other at the GT Academy, established by Nissan marketing exec Danny Moore, played by Orlando Bloom, to turn skilled players of the racing sim into real professional race car drivers. Danny recruits ex-driver turned mechanic Jack Salter, played by David Harbour, to train the members of Nissan's GT Academy, and frustrated by the arrogance and condescension of his current racing team's driver, Nicholas Kappa, Salter agrees to the task. Under the tutelage of Salter, Yan must rise above the ranks of the GT Academy, earn his spot on the professional Nissan racing team, and then qualify for his official racing license to realize his dream of becoming a professional driver all without necessarily the full-throated support of his family, particularly his father, played by Jaiman Hansu, who does not approve of Yan's penchant for video games. Scott, did Gran Turismo evoke a cross between something like Air and Ford vs. Ferrari with a compelling human story and engaging racing action? Or did the engines on Gran Turismo's Nissan GTR backfire and fail to get off the starting line? Yeah, I mean, I won't lie, Scott. I wasn't excited for this movie doesn't really look like something that I'm interested in. I mean, sure, I like sports, but I'm not particularly into racing. Yes, there have been good racing movies. There's just nothing about this movie that was grabbing my attention from the trailers. I've never played Gran Turismo or anything like that. I'm not into racing simulators and and stuff like that. Um, And going into it, I guess I was just kind of expecting a, you know, formulaic sort of, inspirational sports biopic um and it is that on some level but unfortunately i think on the whole it comes out a little bit worse than your average um version of that or at least it did for me um i think this movie is a complete nothing burger to be honest with you i think that there's absolutely nothing about this movie that you're going to remember five minutes after walking out of the theater um Quite frankly, I don't think the, you know, the, the racing action, which is maybe what, what a lot of people will come to this movie for. Um, I don't think there's anything particularly revolutionary or immersive about it necessarily. As a matter of fact, it's kind of not immersive at times because they have these really sort of video gamey like tropes that they throw into. They have the, the overlays or whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that they throw into the racing sequences time that I think almost puts you a little bit out of distance, but um, I, I wasn't, you know, they were probably the best parts of the movie, but that's not really saying much because they weren't very memorable. I don't think they necessarily compared to like, you know, Rush or, or uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which are kind of what I think of when I think about great racing movies. Um, but more than that, Scott, the, the story around the racing uh, feels like a bunch of video game cutscenes, to be honest with you, because uh, it is so thin, it is so weak, uh, it is uninspired, no energy or enthusiasm really brought to it. I found the performances quite dull at times. I found some of the subplots, a lot of the subplots you mentioned his family, um, really weak, like really just not developed at all, the most yeah. basic one-dimensional 
like I was just rolling my eyes so hard in the opening, you know, they're at the dinner table and it's just the classic, Oh, the dad doesn't think racing is a real, you know, career path. And so he's um, putting the pressure on his son to stop playing this game all day. And, And then he just disappears for like an hour and a half of the movie and then, you know, shows up at the end to have a little emotional, Oh, I'm so sorry. I never should have, you know, it dismissed you like this type of moment. That's really all there is to it. Um, there's a romantic subplot that is just feels completely shoehorned into the movie. You don't even know what the girl's name is until like three fourths of the way into the movie. And that, I think that, that, that's like not, that's not true, but I, and I do agree with the point that when do they say her in. name? When it, do they the say first her... thing that you meet her, he, she, the brother says her name, says her name before they even go okay. meet her. But well, it's it's still very underdeveloped because, it is yes it is. and like it's really weird because they like are they the first conversation is at some party but it's like it's not established do they know each other like yeah. you know what what is this their first time i mean they, they obviously know each other in some context but how do they know each other have they been close before is there any sort of romantic thing she, he's literally just like sitting alone and she comes up and starts having a conversation with also him. our guy has no riz no he riz does. whatsoever. Yeah, he, has, he has none. Um, yeah. So that's really weak. I also think, you know, the the main like racing path story um, and you have David Harbour, who, again, is another stock character in this movie. Like he is. Sure. Oh, he's the trainer who once upon a time could have been a great racer. But, you know, there's this skeleton in his closet that prevented him, from, which, by the way, is a hilarious whole plot hole to me that it's treated as this i'm getting into it here but it's treated as this big sort of revelation late in the movie when we find out what happened to david harbour and that you know made him square off of racing and it is basically that he was involved in a serious crash at the le mans race in like the 80s or 70s or something and somebody i believe somebody died right didn't he say doesn't he say that um it's very similar to what happens to Yan in the movie. And it's so crazy to me because the other driver, the other driver died, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's treated as this big revelation. Again, a, a 30 second Google search of this guy probably would have revealed that entire story, right? We're talking about like the a deadly crash at the Le Mans race involving this, you know. Two drivers, this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All you have to do is pull up this guy's Wikipedia page and it's probably like in the in the opening paragraph. He's, bu- he's too busy scrolling Audrey or whatever the girl's name yeah. is Instagram page. Oh well, yeah, you remember it so clearly. I thought I don't know why you can't pull. Yes, it was Audrey, but um, yeah, exactly. I guess that's the explanation there. He's just always on her Instagram. But I just thought that was so stupid. And again, David Harbor doesn't really bring very much to the, to the character. It's such a stock character that you see in all of these sports movies like this. There's just no juice to this movie whatsoever. I thought it was very pedestrianly direct i mean neil blomkamp is like by no means an insignificant director he's had a film nominated for best picture at the oscars so um it's kind of strange that he chose to to take this on but it doesn't feel like he really asserts himself very much throughout the movie you know maybe he tries a little bit like with some of the stylistic stuff we're talking about in the racing sequences but it didn't really come off um i just thought this was 
a complete waste of time. Uh, weirdly enough, like it was a long movie, and I, I was worried about that going into it. Like, I guess I, I didn't really check my watch a lot during the movie, which feels weird based on what I'm all the critiques I'm saying about it. Um, but I guess if there's anything it has going for it, it's that it you know moves along at a decent decent pace. It just feels like you know again it's all built around these racing sequences. They did, they really didn't put much thought or, you know, heart into the plot. Um, and the racing sequences themselves just don't really deliver when they do come around for the most part. Um, it feels like what, you know, R Roger Ebert, one of his worst takes was that he didn't consider video games to be art. I feel like this is uh, this is what Roger Ebert. This is a movie that Roger Ebert would look at, and like he would. This would confirm his uh, his belief about <laughs> video games not being art, uh, because uh, it, it feels like a bad video game. This movie does. Um, it, it feels like Scott. It feels like um, one of those career modes on like a. FIFA or Madden game that they have noticed. You know, they have like the journey on FIFA where you play as Alex Hunter, right? This this guy, you know, this this and it's supposed to make it this be sort of this cinematic thing, right? Where like you have these story scenes in between the actual games that you play. And in theory, the games that you play and the results of the games are actually affecting what happens in the story. It doesn't really play out that way, um, from my memory of playing those things. But like it feels like one of those, like the story's just so thin, it's really just kind of bridging the gap between the games. So yeah, waste yeah. of time. Yeah, you're pretty negative on this one. I'm I'm not as negative. I just like the, the film is not inspiring. Like there, it doesn't really do anything that sets itself apart. I I would agree with that, but I don't think the film was a waste of time. I think that you're being a little hard on the racing sequences in this movie. I do understand your point about maybe not being as immersive with because of some of the choices, the stylistic choices they make and and how they're portraying some of the races with the overlay. But I actually think that's pretty like seamlessly woven. And, and yes, it does make it feel more like a video game. But I do think that's like kind of the point of the film. And I think that does yeah. work. That does work for me. And I think some of that stuff is actually some of the the better executed parts of the film. It, look, it's not the racing sequences of Ford versus Ferrari, even though they do share a you know si significant portion of the film is at Le Mans. But I, I do think that it's overall pretty good. I thought David Harbour, although I mean, almost all the characters are, are pretty, pretty thin in this movie. I thought David Harbour's performance was pretty good for what he had to work with. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's significantly better than everyone else in this movie because everyone else is like pretty bad. I think the guy playing Yan Martinborough, the main character, uh, Alex Archie Mattaquay. Archie Mattaquay, yeah, I think that he is not good. Um, I think that Orlando Bloom is awful in this movie. <laughs> I think he is so bad in this film. Yeah, I have no I'm idea what he's doing in this movie. There's something I'm confused about with his character. Maybe we don't have to talk about it now. But there's a scene where I felt like there was just something that we missed. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I missed a lot with his character, I'll be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't really get what he was doing. He was camping it up, but the movie was not trying to. to I mean, he was camping up from like his level. first scene. Like he's giving that presentation yeah. to Nissan execs and the guy is like at an 11. And I'm like, yeah. what on earth, man? What is this? Uh, I just thought that was wild. And yeah, the family stuff is is weak, 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 weak stuff.
Um, but I think the good news is that the film kind of recognizes that's weak. And it, yes, it is like shoehorned and tacked on into the film, but it's not spending ultimately very much time. And most of the time is spent on Yan's sort of evolution and his and his journey through being a sim racer at the at the gaming cafe or at the gaming store or whatever it is, wherever it is that he's racing at um, in Cardiff to the GT Academy and then to the circuit. I found all that all that pretty propulsive and compelling. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're talking about how the film didn't really feel it's two it's two hours and 15 minute length because it is moving at a pretty good pace through that. And there are sort of like intermissions to cut back to the family and like them watching him at, you know, crash at Nuremberg or whatever. And, you know, he has this interlude in Tokyo where he like spends the day with his girlfriend or whatever. But like that is ultimately just like a very limited amount of time in the movie. And most of the time is spent with Yan and <clears throat> Yan and, and Jack Salter, which I think is probably the, mo- the, the best of the relationships in the movie. Again, I thought Harbor was pretty good in this movie. And yeah, I just it, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. And I think that, you know, if you're if your bar is trying to compare it to Rush or Ford versus Ferrari, then obviously you're not going to be satisfied. But I don't think it's fair necessarily to always compare movies to that high watermark. And I think this film is I think the best way is this. This is a meat and potatoes racing biopic. Ultimately, like it's nothing to write home about. It doesn't do you know, it, it's not particularly offensive. Some of the stuff feels super undercooked, but like you're not going to see this movie because you care about the family dynamics of the character. You're going to see the movie because of the racing and the racing's good enough. So I think this film like, you know, limps over the finish line maybe, but ultimately is an enjoyable enough outing. It's not going to be, I agree with you that it's not going to be something that I remember come the end of the year. Absolutely not. But it was it a waste of time. I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not really comparing it to Ford versus Ferrari and Russia. Obviously, I did reference them. But, like, to go back to what I started off by saying, you know, yeah, I think even you compare this to your average, like, run-of-the-mill sports biopic, like, I, I think it falls short of that. For me, personally, I, I, it sounds like it didn't quite do that for you. Or maybe it, like, is in line with a lot of those sort of So average... what's an example? Sorry. I don't know, like a... Um, the blind side or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That was a, a, a topical reference, I guess. Of Oscar award like winning that. the blind side. Okay. Yeah. The blind side yeah. or, um, you know, something else. In I that haven't vein. seen the blind side. Why that's a tough like, you know, Dennis Quaid's the rookie, like sure. is another one that comes to mind. The baseball movie. Yeah, there, there's maybe a lot. This I mean, is a little, a, maybe this is a little below that. I mean, yeah. uh, look, I mean, I think we're talking in the range here, but like, this is like a three star movie. The rookie's mm-hmm. probably like a three and a half star movie, four star movie for me. Yeah. Um, think about a lot of the Disney sports movies, excepting Remember the Titans, obviously, because it's like uh, definitely sure. a cut way above all the other things we're talking about here. But um, yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, yeah, like it's not. I, I guess the biopic, it's the biopic part that's that's tough, right? Is the rookie yeah. a biopic, or is that I don't actually? It know. is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um. Yeah. I. I think it's it, it's like average, maybe slight, like. It's it's in the band of average for me. Like it's not probably as good as some of those yeah. movies that that you're saying, but it's not like infinitely inferior to those to those films either. Hey, to be fair, again, I I mean the rookie was like my favorite movie when I was seven or eight years old. I'm not sure if I've watched it then. Maybe if I went back and watched it, I would also be seeing the same things in it that I see in 
Gran Turismo. So people seem to be liking the movie overall. Average, I mean, the film's but... doing okay. I think. Yeah, which I, again, I don't know. I'm not, I'm I'm just not seeing it. I, I'm not seeing the the juice that this this movie has. You know, maybe the racing sequences do do it for people who are more into racing than I am. Maybe that's what it comes down to. Um, mm-hmm. But I just found there to be a lot of issues. And yes, I understand. Yeah, I mean, again, like like we're saying here, you know, maybe the people the people who are satisfied are the people who came for the racing. And maybe that's going to be most people because most people aren't going to come looking for the story. But as someone who was not looking forward to this movie and would not really have seen it otherwise and is usually about, you know, more interested in the substance than the, you know, style, Uh you know, there wasn't much here for me to latch on to, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. Is this film better or worse than King Richard? There's a recent biographical sports drama. I think it's worse because the, and that's a good example, but I think the performances in King Richard are much better than in this movie. I think that's the difference maker for me. Yeah, that's Although, actually probably a fair trade-off. Like the performances are better, but like, but yeah, you know, King there's Richard no tennis. again. The tennis is like not really a thing. Yeah, you know? the, there's no. So I don't feel like there's a lot of substance in King Richard either because it's a very one-sided movie. So it it. it it has a lot of flaws, but I think it's probably on net better because of, you know, the whole cast, I think, is really good in that movie, whereas nobody stood out to me. Even if you even if I give you David Harbour, that's really just one person. So, I mean, there's really only three three real characters in this movie. And it's yeah, it's Orlando Bloom, it's David Harbour and it's and it's out. Al- I keep calling him Alex Archie Madigui, Archie yeah. Madigui. He was um, he was Simon in Midsommar. That's probably his most notable thing that he's been in. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I almost made a, a joke letterbox review is that they should have had a Gran Turismo competition to see who would play the Gran Turismo player who would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't put that because I can't be bothered to do dumb letterbox reviews anymore. No, because then, you know, Tom Cruise would have probably showed up and he would have somehow won the, won the <laughs> thing to play Jan Martin, bro. Because he's like, oh, I heard there was a sick racing stunt going on. You know, he just yeah, he just true. rolls through just he so does. he could do some sort of driving at 200 miles an hour or whatever they did. Yo, I mean, if you believe those speedometers, they were going like 300 or whatever. <laughs> I don't know that I do, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking about the performances. It seems like you outlined pretty clearly there that you weren't super impressed with anyone in the cast. But I think that it is worth maybe diving in a little deeper on Archie Madiqui. Obviously, he's sort of the star of the film. It's his breakout role in terms of main performance. Maybe elaborate a little bit more about what you felt was lackluster from his performance. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was I was just looking for anything to latch on to to sort of relate to in this performance in this character and i didn't get it i think he's pretty one note again i think a lot of the performances are a lot of the drama in the movie is one note and i think he's on that level he just doesn't have a, a whole lot of charisma i mean yeah you know it's ironic because there's true. this whole part in the movie where the the gt academy is decided by a very small margin, the final race between Yan and the American driver. I think his name is Matt. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Yan wins the race, but 
they are the, the racers themselves don't know because it was so close. And so there's a discussion that David Harbor and Orlando Bloom have about, well, could we actually just pass it off as Maddie one because he's clearly the more charismatic and marketable yeah. uh, person here. And they're all, almost pointing out the flaws in their own movie, which is that, you know, I understand they want it to be like, oh, well, it's the character that's not charismatic, but. Archie Madigway is also not very charismatic, unfortunately. And this is the scene that I was alluding to earlier, Scott. I felt like we were missing something because they have this conversation and Orlando Bloom seems to be very much on the side of we need to we need to pick this Maddie guy because he's going to interview better. He's going to do all this stuff like it, it's it, a better it face. feels like. It's, yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's really setting him up as like the corrupt business, like is the Josh Lucas character from totally Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and they're like having an argument because David Harbour's like, no, we have to go with the guy who won the race. And then they just like cut away to that. It, it, it seems like they're at an impasse in their argument. And then we just cut away and Yan is announced as the winner. And nothing is ever really said about it again for the rest of the movie. And it's like, well, what happened? Like, how did how did he convince him to, you know, go with Yan? Because the point where they leave quit. it quit, I don't know. <laughs> the point where they leave it off on is like, very much seems like it's it's muddled it's up in the air and then again they they don't go in that direction at all with orlando bloom they just say well yan was the winner we're gonna just avoid all the drama here whatsoever i thought that was pretty weird and and again weak a, a direction where the movie maybe could have had a little bit of edge to it and especially it when they come back later and make his character like break into the coaching area and like yeah. yell at at yan to like get his head back in the race or whatever or whatever yeah. it was yeah and i mean uh, again they just don't even really revisit the part of him not being a good interviewee or not you know being marketable or whatever like they kind of do briefly in tokyo the, yeah there there's the brief scene i guess yeah in in tokyo but where they're like in the hallway or whatever but again yeah. it's it's a it's an afterthought again it, totally like so many points of the subplot like the, the subplots mm-hmm. they are afterthoughts like the family is an afterthought the girlfriend is an afterthought this whole plot development on his on danny's character afterthought like a lot of the stuff that's not the racing and not the central story is an afterthought again yeah. i think that's okay ultimately because like i'm not i don't have any real sense of confidence that they would deliver something satisfactory in those subplots anyway so probably better like i guess here's what i'll say they probably have a lot of other stuff to fill up that subplot that got left on the cutting room floor to get this thing down to 135 minutes because they realized that they didn't really have much much there probably is what yeah it 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 is kind of crazy thinking that talk thing that this movie is 135 minutes and so much of the story feels just thin rushed underdeveloped and afterthought like we're saying um that, that but also if you think about i mean i think on this point not to change the topic a little bit but i was thinking like there is so much ground covered in this movie like you get before he even gets into the academy you get his whole time at the academy and you get his whole time on the circuit up until he you know finishes on the podium at le mans and yeah. i'm just like that is like a ton of mileage getting covered sorry the pun there like getting covered in the, in the movie and i was like it almost I'm not sure that it would have made for a better film to narrow it down, but like I wonder if just having him go through the academy would yes, be a more I agree. compelling film. I agree. I and allow for more time thing. with the family. Because that's actually when like the, the crux of the family drama 
would actually matter because the family is supportive, but like not super supportive of him. Even because they don't think it's going to pan out. Yeah. yeah, not really. I mean, his dad is just like, that's dangerous. Like, I can't like, why would you go like there, there's like drama there to exploit. And I think that you could add more stuff in even with the girlfriend about him, like maybe using her as like a back fall for supporting him on that, like as a counterbalance to his family. Like, I feel like there's potential there to actually develop the characters more in that more isolated environment. But like, obviously like finishing on the podium at Lamont, it's like a way more like exhilarating into your movie. Or maybe not. I don't know. He, he like, especially does win when the they, race. I don't know. I was going to say, especially when they treat it like he won the race and <laughs> you could very much be deluded into it until they're standing on the podium. Like I, I was like, wait yeah. a minute, what happened here? And then like, I feel like people might honestly be confused because they really act like he wins the race. And then especially like, in he, American sports where like second and third place on like a yeah. podium is like not something that is that is seen as, exactly. celebra- as celebrated that often outside of like the Olympics. Right. Whereas like obviously European sports competitions like the Tour de France, things like Le Mans, like those things like p- podiuming and, and those competitions are like a big deal, obviously. But it's like that's not super like American culture, I think it would be my read. It is interesting. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. We, you know, we'd be like, oh, that's a participation trophy or whatever in our society. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do feel like some people are going to be like, wait, what happened when they all of a sudden they just cut to them on the podium and there's two other random teams that we don't even know about who are like, you know, yeah. higher up, who are first and second. Yeah, who are game. not Kappa or whatever. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, but, are, I, but they do, yeah. I mean, they do say they're like, hey, we, our goal is to get a sim team on the podium. They don't say our goal is to win. So, like, you know, yeah, I, I will say, say I, I want to get back right to that point in a second, but I do, like, I do stand by, especially with the fact that it's winning by like a fraction of a second. You can take the dumb stuff with, with Danny arguing with, with, uh, Jack about it out, or you can like build that up more. His character as like this person who like doesn't really like Yan very much and is supportive of Maddie. And then if the film's successful, you got a sequel. You can just do his time on the circuit. You can do the second half of the movie or whatever. I just think that that would make a lot more sense. Following up on the thing that I wanted to come back around to, um, the whole notion and the whole driving factor of the third act of the film being like in reaction to this, like, I don't know, like this sort of document that's being endorsed to like ban sim driving, like sim drivers on tour. So like my counter is like, we're going to go get two unlicensed sim drivers out of the like amateur leagues, the bring them up. Did not even make it out of the academy. Didn't make yeah. it. Well, they are racing professionally in like the amateur leagues or I, mean, yeah. I guess amateur is fundamentally not professional, but like they are racing in the amateur league. So they did go somewhere after the academy, but like you're going to pull these two randos out and you're going to be like, your goal is to podium at Lamar or we're finished. And I'm just like, this is probably what happened in real life. I, I, I get it. But like, that's just, it sounds so dumb when you say it mm-hmm. out loud, right? Like, it sounds so dumb. Yeah, the doubling down is is tough. It, it, it's strange. Yeah, uh, and it's just like, also like, if this was Danny Moore's idea, I'm like, man, you're so lucky you didn't get fired. Yeah, but again, like, this is where you have to think about the real context. And we were talking about this before, Scott. Like, again, yeah. people may not know this, but if you've seen the movie... Uh, the crash that the big crash, the fatal crash that happens yep. where another racer is killed. Uh, no, well, not racer, pedestrian, a pedestrian, pedestrian, sorry, pedestrian, yeah. yes, uh, is killed in an accident with uh, with Yan's car. 
Um, that happened in like 2015, whereas the Le Mans race that we see uh, where they place third is in 2013, I believe. So um, it's not the driving force. And this whole sim racing, you know, needs to be banned or whatever. If if it was a thing, it didn't happen until years afterwards when this crash actually happened. So I do think, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't crit fault the movie for that because you know we, you got to look at the movie in a vacuum i guess to some extent but knowing that now i feel like maybe the way that they reverse the sequence of events kind of is some of the allows for some of the illogical stuff kind of that you're talking about here scott with um you know we're going to double down we're going to add more sim racers to the team and people who aren't even as well trained and skilled as yen is that's the solution to to this whole thing and it works out for them thankfully but yeah yeah i'd be curious to know more about the story of whether that's true i'm just like reading yen martinborough's wikipedia page and it says in 2013 um he raced in lamar finished third in class ninth overall after a car ahead of him was disqualified post-race so it's like not even like that if that is the race that is like the comp for for the story i mean like maybe it's a different year at lamont i don't know I've, i'm just skimming here but like it's kind of like yeah i don't know man <laughs> i'm like not 100 sure um but yeah, class position third place so yeah tr- he only raced 2013 and 2014 and 2015 so it's interesting and his and his team were not i mean maybe they were two other i'm not sure if they were two other people from the gt um academy but i'm just looking at his co-drivers for the third place finish and <coughs> it's michael crumb and lucas ardonies who are not the people in the film obviously mm-hmm. i know that they're not probably using real people for his like academy mates or whatever um in the movie but it is interesting and also interestingly enough the car he's driving again i'm not i'm not an expert on cars and stuff but i thought he was driving a gtr but that's not even the car he was driving in 2013 at Le Mans. So I'm not even, there's like obviously a lot of really loose factual details. I don't mean to like be a stickler for some of that stuff. Like obviously sometimes the, the real life events are not as, not as exciting um, as you can make them up in stories. And so I don't really have the biggest issue with that, but to circle back around to your original point about the accident, like that just feels really the way that they use that accident as like a driving force in the narrative feels a little rough to me considering that really did happen two years later it really did kill a person and i'm sure it really did affect him but just not in the manner in which it's portrayed in the movie yeah um separate question i want to ask scott is what do you think about this movie's relationship to the product which it you know purports to be about about gran turismo you know there's there's been talk about this like with barbie for example about Oh, is this really just one big advertisement for for Barbie, right? Sure. I think you could look at Gran Turismo and say, is this really just one big advertisement for Gran Turismo? Because it's not just that they're sim racers. It is they make a, a very big point about, oh, this is Gran Turismo, right? This is the most realistic simulator that there is. Sure. And we have the creator of Gran Turismo. I don't know if that's the real guy or not, but um, 
he's you know Kazunori Yamauchi yeah he's in here like you know showing up to say hey isn't my game great and you know again the whole the whole thing is uh Yan knows how to drive he knows these cars better than freaking David Harbour does because he's like oh I've driven this car you know you know thousands of times or whatever playing the game in my room uh the brakes were glazed uh, Scott why don't you just give it up he knew were you were you put off at any point by the sort of blatant maybe uh adulation for the product that is featured heavily in this movie and that is the title of the movie as well yeah so gran turismo so i mean so the movie is produced by obviously it's made by sony produced by playstation productions which is like the film adaptation arm not necessarily film but like the media adaptation arm of playstation sony's you know, video game product. And they did Uncharted. They did The Last of Us TV show. They did, they're doing this. They've got more stuff. They did Twisted Metal. So that they've got a lot of stuff they've been working on. In terms of product, I rolled my eyes a few times when they were talking about like most realistic racing sim. Like that made me laugh a little bit. But honestly, it didn't even feel as bad. I mean, it didn't feel to me as bad as something like Barbie would feel or even Air felt to be honest in terms of like product placement and and that stuff because the film is ultimately like not really about the game if that makes sense whereas like the other things are like quite literally about the shoe like the the air jordan and quite literally about the doll barbie so like in terms of the self-promotional aspect of the film it is definitely there it definitely made me roll my eyes at times it didn't feel as egregious because they're telling this real life story especially in the second half of the film there's very little mention of Gran Turismo. Obviously they're still referencing the fact that he came from a background of sim racing and not necessarily real race car driving. But after he signs his, like the last time it happens in the movies, like when he signs his con his licensing contract or whatever, when they're in Tokyo and you know, before that there's, there's other opportunities. It could have been worse. It still caught the eye when, when it did sort of rear its ugly head. It didn't bother me that much, mainly because I just don't care about Gran Turismo. It's not something I care about. Personally, j- just like Barbie's self-promotion didn't. Bo- I mean, the, the part of that that bothered me was just I didn't think the humor was very funny with the CEO. It's like all the stuff with Will Ferrell in that movie just didn't work for me. Um, whereas like this, I'm just like, this is I see what you're doing and it's stupid. And I don't care because I don't care about racing sims. But, you know, they're promoting their movie. Maybe I, like I'd be curious if like, you know, next month on the NPD reports, if Gran Turismo popped in terms of. <laughs> sales which would be well, kind the, of funny if it did i don't think the movie's really popping so i uh it's made 60 million it's made 60 million. okay yeah All i mean right. well, it's not making its budget back but it's not like it mm-hmm. it died on the not vine like, like blue beetle it made more than blue beetle did that's for yeah, sure not like 98 percent of movies you know even make their budget back today like they don't so i mean not in theaters like after theaters they do but yeah not not in the not yeah. in theaters yeah but anyway, I was just curious about what you thought about that because, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, at least something like Barbie is taking a satirical look at, you know, the product and its effect on society, whereas, um, you know, yeah, but in, me, a, in, yes, a, in a no, it wasn't way, egregious. Though. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't as egregious, maybe, as in Barbie. To your point, but yeah, um, it's much less critical or sure. any. I mean. Uh, they were never yes. going to be 
critical of Gran Turismo in the movie. That's not really the point. Like the point is this guy got to <laughs> ended up being a real racer off of playing Gran Turismo. So like a but like was that worth making a movie about? I don't know. Yeah. Was Barbie worth making a movie about? I don't know. That's just like what it what is it what is it deemed worth making a movie about? I don't I don't really I mean, know the answer yeah. to that question. Was it was it interesting enough? Which for me it wasn't, but sure. I guess for other people it is. Yeah, I'm not sure that it was interesting enough for me either, but you know, it is what it is. Scott, I guess the only thing to talk about really is like the the resolution of the film because I think you mentioned that and you were talking earlier about like the podium, you could be confused thinking they're winning the race. But I think talking about Lamaze and like is, is worth talking about. So the, the sort of the climax again, I'm not going to say there's like no stakes, but like one of the things that I think I did notice, especially early on when they were doing the sim racing stuff is like, there was like no level of tension whatsoever early on in the movie with mm-hmm. the racing. Like I'm, it got better over the course of the movie when they actually started racing cars and not doing the the racing sims, but like when he's racing in like the Euro, like the European sim competition for him to like be like enter the academy, I was like, man, this is this is dull. Like it's yeah. not. It's not good. Um, luckily, I you're watching more... somebody play a video game. Like, there's nothing interesting about that. Well, I think there can be something interesting about watching people play a video game. I'm not sure that there's something interesting about the way that they portrayed uh, watching Yan play the video game. I don't know what it was. One thing that I did notice, sorry, this is completely separate from the direction I was going. I found it very funny, but it felt like at different points in the movie, they had to remind you what the point of the thing you're watching was. Did you notice this, Scott, where they were just like, you have to finish fourth place in yeah. this race in order to get your license. Remember, you have to finish on the podium or we're losing mm-hmm. our jobs. <laughs> like that happened at so many different points in the movie where I was like, I heard that there's this joke. I think it was in Barry one time, or it might've been in some other, some other show about like the, the things you have to hit for like a streaming movie to be successful. Like you, like it needs to be like back, like we're trying to service background content. So like every so often you have to remind the, the viewer of like what's going on on the screen. When they look and it kind of, whatever. Else exa- no, exactly. Now. And it kind of felt like that, but I'm like, this is so weird because this isn't a streaming movie. <laughs> like, yeah. This is a movie in the theater o- released only in theaters. Like what is happening? I was so confused by that. And it was like so dumb. And I was like, yeah, Danny, I know what we're doing here, man. I know we got to finish fourth place at the Dubai circuit. I get it. So that was one of the things I thought was a funny quirk of the, of the writing of the movie. I mean, talking about the Le Mans race like yes, Le Mans. That is something I else I find, something else I find you know and maybe this is just me being ignorant of racing but like the whole thing that happens is it's like a callback to early in the movie when he's playing the game and his dad comes in and mm-hmm. there's like the racing line which is what everyone follows and he's like actually driving outside the line in order to pass people right Mm-hmm. And again, it's treated in the movie as if it's this sort of revolutionary outside the box thinking. And it's ultimately what he does in order to place at Le Mans in order to get that spot on the podium. I just don't see how that's true. Like, isn't that <laughs> what everyone would do to pass someone? Like, of course, you're not going to be able to pass anyone if you're just all following the same I mean I guess on the on turns and stuff like that you know it opens up a little bit more but like 
I, I, I feel like what they're proposing as novel in this movie for him to be doing is in fact not. And I was just like, he can't have been like the first person to think of this. Like, well, he's the only person playing Grand Turismo, so that's why he knows and other people don't, you know. I guess that's it. Because he's yeah. gotten to he's gotten to try it hundreds of times and see Played that actually he game. can race faster to you know not following the accepted track. But I, I I hear what you're saying. I don't really I don't have a good answer for you. I'm not Race a racing to expert. The yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm not, you know, well versed enough in racing to be able to answer that question. Sure. Presumably yeah. you would experiment with lap times, right? Like when you're doing practice races or when you're doing trial runs or whatever i'd assume you'd try different paths along the track and compare your lap times and stuff like that and splits but i don't know i'm not a professional race car driver so couldn't tell you me either yeah other than that though like the sort of finish of the film when he is able to you know basically do what you're describing ends up holding off kappa in the final stretch and and placing on the podium like did you find that sort of like an exhilarating climax of the movie? I mean, you, you talked about not being super engaged in the sort of personal elements of the film, but did the racing also not work for you? I mean, honestly, I was more engaged by the final race at the GT Academy, honestly, sure. than I was by this, because as you're pointing, as you pointed out, you know, he's not even racing which I understand like that's just how Lamont works. Cause it's the a 24 hour, 24 hour race. Yeah. But um, as in terms of what does that make for, you know, compelling drama, compelling, you know, a compelling movie versus like a like, 10 lap race. Yeah. Track. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like he's just, you know, chilling, hanging out for some of the race and it takes you out of the moment a little bit, I guess. And, you know, maybe sort of, cuts down on the intensity and you know yeah and ford versus ferrari managed to sort of navigate around that where they didn't really show you any part of the film where christian bale wasn't driving the car at lamar yeah um Um, so yeah i guess i was a little bit more engaged by that earlier race scene i mean i kind of you know knew what was going to happen so sure sure i mean that is one of the problems of the movie all the way through is that you kind of know what's going to happen yeah. All the way throughout. Like it's formula. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Scott. Well, unless there's anything else, I think we could probably enter the wrap up here. Favorite scene or moment from Gran Turismo. I, mean, I guess it's the scene that I was just talking about, the sure. the final race between him and Maddie at the the GT Academy, which comes down to this photo finish. Um, excluding of course the dumb conversation we talked about that happens afterwards, but um, the race itself, you know, it's the most memorable sequence, I guess, but sure. it's a movie that I don't remember a whole lot from or, and certainly won't as the days go on. So um, take that for what you will. Yeah. Well, funny. I, I meant to bring this up earlier, but the woman who plays Leia, who's like the one of the like one of the finalists of the GT uh-huh. Academy, her name's Amelia Hartford. She's actually a real professional. Um like race car driver. I nice. Think. So they, they threw her in there. Um, and then you asked me earlier if, if that was Kazunori Yamauchi, who actually plays the creator of Grand Turismo, who plays himself. 
that is not the real create like that is not him playing that role but he does he is the sushi chef at like the restaurant they go to in in tokyo uh he's like the the chef there um so he does make an he does make an appearance in the movie easter egg for absolutely no one probably but i can't imagine i mean i i bet like big gran turismo heads know know what he looks like Uh, sure but yeah the average joe's not gonna not gonna be getting Mm -hmm. that one uh i only knew that because i looked afterwards and saw that it was not (laughs) not him who played the you know played himself but anyway um yeah no i think that's a good scene i think that's one up there for me as well i'm gonna just call it a different scene that i just thought was really funny um the scene with david harbour at the like when he is like at the restaurant or whatever with with kappa at the beginning of the movie when they're like all sitting at this massive table eating dinner and like (laughs) i don't know if this is like it's supposed to be intentionally funny or i just found it funny but something about this scene where like it's so interesting to see like this is probably real in the sense that like people have just crazy egos and stuff but the notion that like his like team leader or whatever is like you look great out there today cap like su- like just like sucking up to him at the dinner table and then like you have david harbour giving him feedback w- which i did think was kind of a rogue thing to be doing uh, at at the table but then his response <laughs> Just like slamming the table, just be like, "This is this is so." That was just so funny to me. Yeah. Again, I don't think it was intentionally funny, but I just found it really hilarious. And he storms out and walks home in the rain. I was like, "You're such a loser, dude. What are you doing doing that at the table?" Quite a scene. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, all right. Out of ten, what do you give? It's like a nice restaurant too. Like it's a staff. Oh yeah. It's like a very nice restaurant. It's, yeah. It's like super nice formal restaurant that they have this massive table at. You know, probably a private room too. I don't think you see other patrons in the area, but and just like causing a scene. Very funny. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving Gran Turismo? Uh, it's a 4.2. It's pretty bad. Brutal. 5.5 for me. Um, nothing to write home about. But, you know, if you're looking to get some fresh racing thrills, I guess you might find some here. All right. That should do it for our discussion of Gran Turismo. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about a new project from Cooper Rafe as well as something that Scott said very briefly earlier and is possibly the worst news imaginable for one host on this podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As alluded to before the break, Scott, just just the worst news last week on Thursday. I was talking with some friends from work and saying, you know, we, there's been a lot of talk about films getting delayed out of the fall because of the because of the strikes. But Dune's still holding on. You know, Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, they're all still holding on to their fall release dates. And I'm like, we got something. I, I am texting this to friends at work at 530. I walk home from work by the time that I get home from work and I'm like changing into like workout clothes to go to the gym. I check my phone. It's like six Oh five. And I see that Dune has been delayed and I'm just like, Oh my God, what is happening? This is the worst news. Yeah. Dune part two was delayed into, I think mid March, like March Uh 
14th or something like that. Sometime in something in that, like March 10th, March 14th, something in that range. And, you know, ostensibly because they really want Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya to promote the movie, among others, of course, there's obviously a stacked cast and in, in Dune Part Two. But I have to imagine that those are the two you know, very famous stars at the center of the film. And Scott, first off, I think it's dumb. I think it's dumb as hell. They had five weeks of exclusivity in IMAX. And I don't know if they've seen what Oppenheimer has done at the box office with zero promo from stars. Granted, the stars are not as big in Oppenheimer and Chris Nolan drives a lot of the traffic for that movie. But like that movie has sold out screen after screen after screen after screen for five weeks at the box office in IMAX. And they think that giving that level of exclusivity up in IMAX where they're not going to have that presumably in March. I mean, maybe they will work it out and they'll have it in March. I don't know. Especially, but just the hype around premium format film right now, like could not be higher with something like Oppenheimer being as successful as it's been in the cultural zeitgeist right now. And the fact that you could then roll, you know, two months later into Dune part two, yes, not of 70 millimeter IMAX, but a true IMAX ratio format shot for IMAX film that utilizes the premium format to the utmost degree. And then to sacrifice that level of exclusivity and, and the hype, the built in hype around that movie, it's going to cost them more money to move the date because they have to rechange all their marketing cycle. It's going to cost them more in marketing all for Chalamet and Zendaya to promote a sequel to a sci-fi movie from two years ago. Like I just don't like these people are not going to convince randos to go out and watch the movie. Like people who are not interested in Dune are not going to go watch this movie because Timothy Chalamet is in it. Like, I just don't see that that happening. They'd have to watch a two and a half hour part one just to go see part two. Like I just, I just don't, don't know what world they're sort of operating in. I think that's a smart move. I think it's a really bad decision. Obviously I'm like biased because I'm super pissed about it. Like it was the most ex- thing. I was the thing I was most excited for over the rest of the year. So I'm needless to say quite salty about the whole thing, but I also just think it's a dumb move. I'm curious if you have a different perspective. I mean, I'm in two minds about it. I I don't think I'm quite as fully in one camp as you. I do think that on the one hand, you know, I think Timothy Chalamet and to a greater extent Zendaya, I mean, they have shooters, right? Like they, they have people who will ride for them. Um, I think, again, I think especially in the cases in day, you know, you're saying, I don't think anyone's going to see Dune part two for one of them. I don't know. I, I think there probably are some people out there who are going to be drawn to the movie. But I'm saying yeah, but particularly, a young, particularly a younger audience, younger demographic, people who might be drawn to Oppenheimer without the big stars. Right. Because I think Christopher Nolan is somebody who is a known commodity to a lot of people our age, for example, Scott, and people grew up are of our age grew up with the dark Knight trilogy with inception with these big movies. Sure. The other side of the coin though, is it's a sequel, right? It's a sequel to a movie that a lot of people saw like Dune, the first movie did very well. And so um, I feel like people understand what, dune is at this point even if they didn't see the first movie like it was out there Mm -hmm. and i don't know if the extra boost that timothy chalamet and zendaya provide which i think is is a is real 
applies necessarily to to this movie again because it is a sequel it is something i'm just wondering like people are aware of but if you but do you need timothy chalamet to promote the film a week before release to drive those those timothy chalamet stands like to the box office like don't they know that he's already in this movie i mean but that just kind of calls into question the bigger picture of film promotion i think like Sure, you know, how, but I'm just saying, like, much... who's learning about Dune Part Two a week before because Chalamet posted on Instagram? Like, who's who is that person? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying logically makes sense, but again, I think you could also say it about like every other movie, you know that that yeah, the actors try to promote. I mean, nobody was going to see Barbie because of Marco Robbie posting something about it, you know, a week or two before the movie yes 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 i think that's true to an extent i think i think that's just a different case because like the margot robbie train like clearly arrived at the station months before like the whole marketing of barbie yeah was it had been going on for and it totally yeah. drove people to the box office like 100 mm-hmm. percent. and margot robbie certainly a part of that i think look all i'm saying is that no one saw bones and all last year and i know that's slightly different i know that that is slightly different i understand but like it doesn't feel like that crazy of a departure. Like, yeah, Luca Guadagnino, Denny Villeneuve, like one's like a blockbuster filmmaker, one's not. But like, it's not like Dune's like super accessible material. It's like not. It's not like you're going and watching like a four quadrant drama when you but, when you buckle yeah. up for Dune. But pe- but people don't know that. Again, like the, I I re- I remember when I went to see Bones and All, uh, you know, last year there was a large group of girls probably my age or i actually probably a, a bit younger who came in to see the movie it was very sure. clear that they were there to watch it because of timothy chalamet sure um i don't know if they were aware of what the content of the movie was one of them seemed to throw they weren't aware that it included movie. bones and all um, in the movie. <laughs> yeah and, and the same i think is is true of dune i think for for people like that you know the the people who a lot of, I, I don't want to stereotype, obviously, but the people who may be drawn into something by Timothy Chalamet or Zendaya, sure, they're not going to care what the, the, the thing is about, right? And, I totally agree with uh, you. I just think that, like, Bones and All made less than $15 million last year. Mm-hmm. So, like, that but, audience but, didn't turn out and make that a hit. But Dune has, but, uh, but Dune does, I say that, but also now, maybe what I'm saying a little bit, Dune does have at least the appearance of something more appealing than i mean it, it's a blockbuster Dune it's looks blockbuster. like star wars yeah like you know again it, it looks like something that is a big movie that you don't want to miss something like oppenheimer for example where exactly so why are you delaying it out of the holiday period why are you why are you dumping this thing in march yeah. like i just think it's a bad march i think does it's seem weird yeah i mean it's just like the next window because they're not unless they bump aquaman out of december which they're not going to do isn't there something else that's coming out in March too, like that it's going to have to contend with? They now? moved. They moved Godzilla. They moved Godzilla out of the out of March, which is what was okay. there before. They also have Mickey seventeen or whatever, but that's not going to. It's not going to compete. Okay. I don't think. I would. I wouldn't imagine that Bong Joon Ho's movie would compete with Denis Villeneuve. Um, Dune. Like I. I could be wrong, but I just. I wouldn't see that Who really knows? happening. Um, I mean, like the thing would be they could have moved it to. They could have moved it to Christmas, but that would mean moving Aquaman. Which you know the first Aquaman made over a billion dollars in the Christmas window, so they're probably not going to do that, even if they're sitting on a piece of garbage, which they probably are. Um, 
Yeah, I just think it's a bad mistake. I think that like the hype around the film is real right now in the cultural zeitgeist. I understand that, you know, maybe you're sacrificing a few million dollars. Say you're sacrificing 20 million in box office because you didn't get Chalamet and Zendaya's fans to come watch the hard sci-fi sequel. I think that's kind of generous too, if I'll be honest. Yeah. But like, how much I are mean, they losing because because of the because of losing this window? How much more marketing dollars are they going to spend in this movie, changing the marketing cycle? Like, I just I, I'm struggling to understand how that how like the math squares out on this. It does suck because you know it feels like we had gotten to a real point of finally movies might be back, right, with Barbenheimer. Yeah, um, and and real movies, right, like original movies from auteur filmmakers who are actually trying to do something interesting and not just you know being dictated to by some corporation um, well technically none of these movies are original screenplays but i understand what you mean yeah yeah um but they are very much the works of their auteurs, creators yeah. and not the brands um yeah but um and dune again is like the next possibly the next big movie right to to like definitely it keep is the, keep those people who were like who watched Barbie and Oppenheimer were like, oh yeah, movies are actually really cool. Um, and, you know, sort of re remind, were reminded of that. Wanted It's to an event level theater. experience. Yeah. yeah. Dune is like the next big thing on the calendar. And now it feels like without that there, you know, people might, the, the people who were momentarily back in after Barbie and Oppenheimer, they don't have anything to go to. They don't have anything to lose go watch. their interest in going to the theater and watching original movies again. Yeah, I mean, there's Killers of the Flower Moon, but frankly, that's that's going to be a tough sell for people because it's three and a half hours long. Like, yeah. I hate to say it, but that's that's a, that's going to be a really tough one for people, I think, that that length of time. There's Napoleon, but like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just like not sure about it, you know? Like, Ridley Scott is not crushing it at the box office currently, unfortunately. And then there's Marvel's, bleh. Aquaman 2, bleh. Like, like, but this is what we're working with here. This is what we got. <laughs> where oh, are the movies? Oh, where? Does where Snow White movies? come out this year? What'd you say? Does Snow White come out this year? God, God willing, it doesn't. But I think, it, I think it's, I think it's actually March technically. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was like Christmas or something like that. I think I think you're. Are you thinking of Wonka? I mean, Wonka is coming out this year. Sorry, another Timothy Chalamet. Okay, movie. yeah, that's true. That is Wonka. Um, yeah, and what's the? There's another one. The Color Purple. That's the other one. Yes, the musical, the musical version of Color Purple. Yeah. Which did maintain that, and Aquaman both maintained their release, and Wonka all retained their release dates on the Warner Brothers calendar. Which feels mm -hmm. like a big pileup for them in December, but. I guess they're all different movies. I mean, Wonka and Color Purple. There's probably some overlap there, right? They're both make musical. I don't know about that. Movies. I don't. Well, they're musicals. They're know. musical movies, right? Yeah, but uh, is I Wonka mean, a musical? I feel like I might be making that up. I think Wonka's. A musical. It might not. It honestly might not be. Oh, okay. Maybe there's just music in it. It's a biopic. It's a biopic <laughs> of a man named. What was the tagline that I texted you? Is like how Willie got Wonka or something. How Willie became Wonka. Or something. How Willie, yeah, some awful tagline for that movie. When I saw at the end of the trailer, I was like, I cannot believe that this is the tagline See, of this you, movie. What you don't realize is this movie is not the story of 
Willy Wonka. It's the story of the character from the movie. Yeah, Willy that, Wonka and the yeah. that Charlie saw on the TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how Willie became Wonka. I mean, maybe one of the worst taglines I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff from the marketing. I mean, you go from Barbie at the high to like how Willie became Wonka at the low in one year for you right there. I mean, that's that's rough. All right. Get me out. Save me from ranting further about Dune, Dune Part 2 uh, by talking a little bit about this project that uh, Cooper Rafe is going to be doing next. Obviously, he's, um, you know, we've talked about him quite a bit in the past few years. First with Shithouse in 2020. And then last year, of course, at Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is one of our favorite movies of the year last year. But yeah, tell us more about Cooper Rafe's upcoming project. Yeah, he's one of the most exciting sort of young creators out there because um, he's still very young. He's still younger than us. Um, and he always will be. He always um, will be. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. But um, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, he's he, his, he's working on his next project. He's actually working on a couple projects. Um, yeah. Right. And I, I, I do believe he's working on another film. But the one which I'm talking about here is a, a series that he's working on, a, you know, He's, he's going the way of many, you know, filmmakers nowadays, which is he's diving into the world of television. Um, and uh, this is going to be an independent um, TV series. So we don't know, you know, where you're going to be able to watch this, what, you know, streaming service essentially is going to pick this up, I believe. Yeah. But Oh, you don't think um, this will be on broadcast television? <laughs> you know, shockingly, I yeah. don't think this is going to be like part of Bravo's Sunday Night lineup. But um, that'd be so sick, though. It was. Oh my god! But uh, yeah, Scott, he's he's building up a not some nice buzz for this project, which is called Hal and Harper. It's a story of two siblings. Um, as with Shithouse and Cha Cha Real Smooth, Cooper Rafe is going to star in the series as well. He's going to play Hal, I assume. And uh, one of the people that has been cast is Lily Reinhardt, who is going to play, it seems, his sister, yeah. um, Harper. Uh, Lily Reinhardt, uh, most noted for her work on. Riverdale, which just ended, by the way, RIP to Riverdale. But um, seems like no one cared know. by the end. It was Riverdale, yeah. Unfortunately, no, definitely no one cared. But yeah. um, it it had a moment there for sure. So, so she's she's known and and was in Hustlers and I mean she's probably been in a couple other movies, smaller stuff. But um, that's that's what I recall her from. But she's going to be she's going to be playing Cooper Rafe's sister in the movie. And then you know the biggest name Scott has been cast so far is Mark Ruffalo. Um, not sure what role he's going to be playing, possibly a dad character or something like yep, that. Their dad. I don't know. He, he's playing okay. their dad. He is playing their dad. All right. Yep. There you go. Uh, question answered. Mark Ruffalo, um, one of my favorite actors. Absolutely. Um, I love everything that he does. Um, you know, he's, he's slowly sort of phasing himself out of the Marvel stuff that he was, he was in that world for quite a while now, but um, you know, not as much in Since that Avengers. world anymore. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he you know had another series a couple of years ago with I know this much is true, which he got a lot of um, buzz for. I think got a lot of nominations for playing two roles in that show. Um, and then um, you know he's going to have what what seems to be a major role here. So he's he's turned his eyes a little bit towards television, which I'm just glad to see him making um, you know new stuff he is going to be in uh poor things as well the yorgos lanthimos movie which got pushed to next year but um he uh 
is going to be in that movie. So that's that's a film he has coming out as well. But um, he's going to be in this series. A couple of other people have been cast. Got Addison Timlin. Not yep. sure who she is. Um, the other person is Havana Rose Lou, who who's in Bottoms. In Bottoms, yes. And I hear that she's pretty good in the movie. So um, she is um, going to be in this series as well. But definitely something to watch out for. We don't know still a whole lot about it. Again, we don't know where to where it's going to end up. Maybe somewhere like Hulu or something like that. Kind of seems like could be this could be a spot for something like yeah. This the, the reason they're able to produce this show right now is because they don't have a major yeah. distributor. Um, Otherwise, they'd be it'd be a struck. They'd probably be working for a struck company, but they have an interim agreement in place because they don't have distribution currently. So I believe it's just being produced. Gosh, it might just be produced by Rafe's because he has his own like production label. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Bangs is the name of the producer. I don't know who that is. I don't think that's actually his production label. I'm not sure. I'm excited for it, Scott. Again, he is one of the most exciting young filmmakers. He he writes family stuff really well. We've seen that, you know, to a lesser extent, Shit House, but definitely in Cha Cha Real Smooth. There was a nice sibling relationship in that movie. Um, so, you know, he's going to continue to explore that sort of stuff, it seems, in this show, Hal and Harper. And I'm interested to see him sort of flex his muscle over the course of a, you know, longer series um and not just a, a two hour or so film so definitely keeping an eye out for this one yeah it's interesting because i think that their whole thing and the reason why this is being talked about is i think that they're gonna be shooting this very soon because they have their interim mm-hmm. agreement there's no reason to wait so um maybe we'll see this as soon as next year more power to them yeah all right scott i think that should just about do it for episode 247 of some like it scott where can people find you on the socials at scarby you can find me at, at shelton2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Serialized. Don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you support us over there, we'd appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, so that we continue to reach a broader audience. And finally, we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about Gran Turismo. We'll be back next week with a review of the film we had originally intended to do this week. That is Emma Seligman's sophomore feature, the teen comedy Bottoms. We hope you'll join us for that. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.